Chapter Thirty O'Hara's Mind is Made Up, Part One of Black Moth by Georgette Heyer. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Jim Salter folded one of my lord's waistcoats and placed it carefully in an open valise. Then he picked up a coat and spread it on the bed preparatory to folding it in such wise that no crease should afterwards mar its smoothness. All about him my lord's clothing was strewn. Mechlin ruffles and cravats adorned one chair, silk hose another, gorgeous coats hung on their backs, shoes of every description, red-heeled and white, riding-boots and slippers stood in a row awaiting attention, wigs perched coquettishly on handy projections, and piles of white cambric shirts peeped out from an almost-finished bag. Jim laid the coat tenderly in the valise, coaxing it into decorous folds, and wondering at the same time where his master was. He had been out all the morning, and on his return had looked so ill that Jim had been worried, and wished that they were not leaving Horton House quite so soon. A little while ago my lord had been closeted with his host. Jim supposed he must still be there. He reached out his hand for another waistcoat, but before his fingers had touched it he stopped, and lifted his head listening. Hasty, impetuous footsteps sounded on the stairs, and came furiously along the corridor. The door was twisted open, and my lord stood on the threshold. Jim scanned the tired face anxiously, and noted with a sinking heart that the blue eyes were blazing and the fine lips set in a hard, uncompromising line. The slender hand gripping the door-handle twitched in a way that Jim knew full well. Evidently my lord was in an uncertain mood. "'Have you finished?' rapped out Carstairs. "'Not quite, sir.' "'I wish to leave this year, not next, if tis all the same to you.' "'Yes, sir. I didn't know you was in a hurry, sir.' There was no reply to this. My lord advanced into the room and cast one glance at his scattered baggage and another all around him. "'Where's my riding-dress?' Jim shivered in his luckless shoes. "'I—uh, tis packed, sir. Do you want it?' "'Of course I want it. Do you suppose that I am going to ride in what I have on?' "'I rather thought you were driving, Your Honor.' "'I am not. The scarlet suit at once, please.' He flung himself down in a chair before his dressing-table and picked up a nail-file. Salter eyed his reflection in the glass dismally, and made no movement to obey. After a moment my lord swung round. "'Well, what are you standing there for? Didn't you hear me?' "'Aye, sir, I did. But your pardon, sir, do you think tis wise to ride to-day for—for the first time?' The file slammed down onto the table. "'I am riding to Horley this afternoon,' said his master dangerously. "'Tis a matter of fifteen miles or so, Your Honor. "'Hadn't you better—' "'Damn you, Jim, be quiet!' Salter gave it up. "'Very well, sir,' he said, and unearthed the required dress. "'I'll see the baggage goes by coach, and saddle the mare and Peter.' "'Not Peter. You go in the coach.' "'No, sir.' "'What?' My lord stared at him. There had been a note of finality in the respectful tone. My lord became icy. "'You forget yourself, Salter.' "'I ask your pardon, sir.' You will travel in charge of my things, as usual. Jim compressed his lips and stowed a shoe away in the corner of the bag. You understand me? I understand you well enough, sir. Then that is settled. No, sir. My lord dropped his eyeglass. What the devil do you mean, no, sir? I ask your pardon, sir, and I presume, but I can't and won't let you ride alone with your wound, but just healed. There was not a hint of defiance or impertinence in the quiet voice, but it held a great determination. You won't, eh? Do you imagine I am a child? No, sir. Or unable to take care of myself? I think ye are weaker than you know, sir. Oh, you do, do you? Jim came up to him. You'll let me ride with you, sir. I won't trouble you, and I can ride behind, but I can't let you go alone. You might faint, 
sir. I can assure you I am not like to be a pleasant companion, said Carstairs with a savage little laugh. Why, sir, I understand there's something troubling you. Will you let me come? My lord scowled up at him and then relented suddenly. As you please. Thank you, sir. Salter returned to his packing, cording one bag and placing it near the door and quickly filling another. The piles of linen grew steadily smaller until they disappeared, and he retired into a cupboard to reappear with a great armful of coats and small clothes. For a while my lord sat silent, staring blankly before him. He walked to the window and stood with his back to the room, looking out. Then he turned and came back to his chair. Jim, watching him covertly, noted that the hard glitter had died out of his eyes, and that he looked wearier than ever. Carstairs studied his nails for a moment in silence. Presently he spoke. Jim. Yes, sir. I shall be going abroad again shortly. If Carstairs had remarked that it was a fine day, the man could not have shown less surprise. Shall we, sir? John looked across at him, smiling faintly. You'll come, Jim? I would go anywhere with you, sir. And what about that little girl at Fittering? Salter blushed and stammered hopelessly. My dear fellow, since when have I been blind? Do you think that I did not know? Why, sir, well, sir, yes, sir. Of course I knew. Can you leave her to come with me? I couldn't leave you to stay with her, sir. Are you sure? I do not want you to come against your inclinations. Women ain't everything, sir. Are they not? I think they are, a great deal, said my lord wistfully. I'm mighty fond of Mary, but she knows I must go with you. Does she? But is it quite fair to her? And I believe I am not minded to drag you across the continent again. You won't leave me behind, sir. You couldn't do that. Sir, you're never thinking of going by yourself. I—I I, I won't let you. I'm afraid I cannot spare you. But if you should change your mind, tell me. Is it a promise? Ay, sir, if I should change my mind. Salter's voice was grimly sarcastic. I am selfish enough to hope you'll not change. I think no one else would bear with my vile temper as you do. Help me out of this coat, will you? I'll never change, sir, and as to tempers, as if I minded— no, you are marvellous. My breeches. Thanks. He shed his satin small clothes and proceeded to enter into white buckskins. Not those boots, Jim, the other pair. He leaned against the table as he spoke, drumming his fingers on a chair-back. A knock fell on the door, at which he frowned and signed to Jim, who walked across and opened it slightly. Is your master here? inquired a well-known voice, and at the sound of it my lord's face lighted up and Salter stood aside. Come in, Miles. The big Irishman complied and cast a swift glance round the disordered room. He raised his eyebrows at the sight of Jack's riding-boots and looked inquiringly across at him. My lord pushed a chair forward with his foot. "'Sit down, man. I thought you were in London.' "'I was. I brought Molly home yesterday, the darling, and I heard that you were leaving here this afternoon.' "'Ah?' "'And as I'm not going to let you slip through my fingers again, I thought I would come and make sure of you. You are a deal too slippery, Jack.' Yet I was coming to see you again, whatever happened. Of course. You are coming now to stay. Oh, no. O'Hara placed his hat and whip on the table and stretched his legs with a sigh. Sure tis stiff I am. Jim, I've a chaise outside for the baggage, so you may take it down as soon as maybe. Leave it where it is, Jim. Miles, tis monstrous good of you, but— Keep your butts to yourself, Jack. Me mind's made up. And so is mine. I really cannot— me good boy, you are coming to stay with us until you are recovered, if I have to knock you senseless and then carry you. The lightning smile flashed into Jack's eyes. How ferocious! But pray do not be ridiculous over a mere scratch. Recovered, indeed! 
You still look ill. Nay, Jack, take that frown off your face. Tis of no avail. I am determined. The door closed softly behind Jim as Carstairs shook his head. I can't, Miles. You must see tis impossible. Pooh! No one who comes to Thur's house knows you or anything about you. You need not see a soul, but come you must. But, Miles! Jack, don't be a fool. I want you, and so does Molly. Tis no trap, so you need not look so scared. I'm not. Indeed, I am very grateful, but I cannot. I am going abroad almost at once. What? Yes, I mean it. O'Hara sat up. So it has come. I knew it would. What mean you? You found out that you love Mistress Di. Nonsense! And she you. Jack looked at him. Oh, hi! I'm a tackless oaf, I know, and me manners are atrocious to be for trying to break through the barrier she put up round yourself. But I tell you, Jack, it hurts to be kept at the end of a pole. I don't want to force your confidence, but for God's sake don't be treating me as if I were a stranger. I beg your pardon, Miles. It's confoundedly hard to confide in any one after six years' solitude. He struggled into his coat as he spoke, and settled his cravat. If you want to know the whole truth, tis because of Diana that I am going. Of course. You are in love with her. It rather points that way, does it not? Then why the devil don't you ask her to marry you? Why don't I ask her? Because I will not offer her a smirch name. Because I love her so much that— He broke off with a shaky, furious laugh. How can you ask me such a question? I am a desirable parti, hein? Nom de nom. For what do you take me? O'Hara looked up calmly studying the wrathful countenance. "'Chivalrous young fool!' he drawled. Again the short, angry laugh. "'It is so likely that I should ask her to marry me, is it not? Mademoiselle, you see in me an improvident fool. I began life by cheating at cards, and since then—oh, I shall believe it myself ere long. I seem to have told it to so many people, and I lay myself open to the impertinences of—' He checked himself, thinking of the interview downstairs with Mr. Bowley. "'Rubbish, Jack!' "'Tis not rubbish. I have one recommendation, only one. "'Faith, have you as much? What is it?' My lord laughed bitterly. "'I dress rather well. And fence better, far as I remember. "'I have reason to. That is but another point to damn me. "'What woman would marry a fencing-master? "'Oh, my God! What a mess I have made of my life!' He tried to laugh and failed miserably. "'I rather fancy Mistress Di would.' "'She will not be asked to thus demean herself,' was the proud answer. "'My dear Jack, you forget you are the Earl of Wincham. "'A pretty Earl. No, thank you, Miles. Richard's son will be Earl, no son of mine.' O'Hara brought his fist down on the table with a crash. "'Damn Richard and his son!' My lord picked up a jewelled pin, and, walking to the glass, proceeded to fasten it in his cravat. The other followed him with smouldering eyes. "'Retired into your cell again,' he growled. Carstairs, with his head slightly on one side, considered the effect of the pin. Then he came back to his friend. "'My dear Miles, the long and short of it is that I am an unreasonable grumbler. I made my bed, and I suppose I must, uh, lie on it.' "'And will you be after telling me who helped you in the making of it?' Carstairs sat down and started to pull on one boot. "'I foresee we shall be at one another's throats ere long,' he prophesied cheerfully. "'Did I tell you that I informed Mr. Bowley of my, uh, profession to-day?' Miles forgot his anger in surprise. "'You never told him you were a highwayman,' he cried. "'Yes, I did. Why not?' "'Why not? Why not? God help us all! Are you daft, man? Do you intend to tell every other person you meet what you are? But, Dad, tis mad you are entirely.' Carstairs sighed. "'I was afraid you would not understand.' 
would take a wizard to understand ye. Another chivalrous impulse, I doubt not. Shiv— No. It is just that I could not let him think me an honourable gentleman. He took it well on the whole, and is now frigidly polite. Polite? I should hope so. The old scarecrow, after you'd saved his daughter on him, too. And t'was he who made you so furious. Carstairs laughed. He and myself. You see, he lectured me— oh, quite kindly, on the error of my ways, and it hurt. "'Tis as well ye are coming to me, then, the way things are with ye at present. My lord opened his mouth to speak, encountered a fiery glance, and shut it again. "'Anything to say?' inquired O'Hara, with a threatening gleam in his eye. "'No, sir,' replied Jack meekly. "'You will come.' "'Please.' O'Hara sprang up joyfully. "'Good Lord, lad, I was afraid at one time. Put on your other boot while I go and look for that rascal of yours.' He hurried out of the room to find Jim, who, having foreseen the result of the contest, was already stowing the luggage away on the chaise. End of chapter 15, part 1. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.